can't never stop working hard. Each day I feel I have to improve. Hard work, determination. I've got to keep pushing myself. Welcome to Hi-Ya, the only podcast that thinks Michael Myers has some serious iron shirt going on. <laughs> <laughs> and his peach wand's not bad either. Oh, shit. <laughs> uh, yep. Episode 21, recorded October uh, 21st. Yes, today. Right, it's now. That's right. <laughs> yeah, I think you might have to explain what peach wand is. I kind of get that, and that's a hella funny joke, but uh, some of our non shingy you know. Well, it's just your basic splitting, like you're swinging an axe or maybe a large butcher knife. Uh, there you go. And his was good enough to pin that fellow to the door of that closet, so... Indeed. He must have some serious chi going on there. True, but yeah. you need the mask. I mean, you need the mask. Yeah, yeah. It's it's, it's your poker face. Indeed. So, for you all who don't who don't know it, when I, when I hang out over at the Joneses' place, whether it's in the middle of July or December, and he starts mixing his iPod together... I always hear this little tune mixed in with the rest of everything else, and it's the Michael Myers tune. <laughs> that one occasionally makes it into the rotation. That's true. Mm-hmm. I'm very excited. Uh, night before Halloween, they're re-releasing that bad boy in the theaters. Oh, really? Yeah, a new 5.1 sound and a you know new cleaned-up print. That might be fun, man. It'll be the first time I saw that movie in the theater since I was 10. Dude, why don't you let me know about that? You know I never get to see horror shows because my wife will not watch one with me. Yeah. And, well, like, we can look on the internet tonight and see if any tickets are left. Yeah, let's do it. Um, <clears throat> But, uh, you know, that's going to be fun for me. Don't worry, folks. This Halloween thing, we're getting close to the end. <laughs> you might <laughs> have to listen to me carry on about this The cool thing anymore. is you're getting tricks and treats, though. That's right. Oh, you know, I, I got to tell you, I loved that movie. I loved horror movies from the time I was a tiny child, but that was the first one that scared the pants off of me. Oh, yeah, no doubt. I mean, I got in the car to go home after that. Of course, my th- this is what growing up in the 70s was like. My mom took me to see an R-rated horror movie because I wanted to go <laughs> at 10 years old. Yeah, I saw Texas Chainsaw Massacre over at my babysitter's house the first oh, yeah. time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh... You know, that, that little Michael Myers fella, mm-hmm. you know, he got up there at the end and disappeared. Oh, spoiler alert. He disappeared. <laughs> I knew exactly where he was when we walked out of the theater. He was in the in trunk of the car. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. I came home one night later that winter. I was a turnkey kid, you know, and it was already dark. And uh, I opened the, the door. And before I could even get into the kitchen to turn the light on, I saw this big shape standing there. I was like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. And I slammed the door shut. And I ran over to the neighbor's house where I was supposed to go if there was trouble. And she's mm-hmm. like, oh, there's somebody in your house. Will you just stay right here till your mother gets home? Well, my mother finally got home, you know, an hour later. And we went and checked. And it was uh, it was some dry cleaning hanging from the <laughs> attic pool chain. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of which, kudos on your progression of your uh, uh, scarecrow out front. I saw that. Nicely done. It's kind of creepy. Yeah, his first head, unfortunately, rotted off, but I'm going to cut him I'm up guessing. another another head for tonight. So. There you go. Yeah. And and believe it or not, aside from it being October and Halloween-y time, folks, martial arts does play an important role in these classic horror shows. Because the only difference between an awesome martial artist with a blade and a good horror show uh, bad guy is speed. Just take out all your speed and then get a little back music and just get a little creepy face. (laughs) All you got to do is just, 
you know, make it last a little longer than is socially acceptable. Yeah. Plus, there's this weird, uh, weird Taekwondo scene and Dario Argentus Suspiria that you might want to check out sometime. <laughs> I have no idea what you're you gotta talking love the about. 80s. They like would it. mix the kung fu and the the horror and whatever else you want together into one big sloppy boob encrusted bloody hey, mess. That's a good thing. Even in mm-hmm. Hong Kong, they caught on to that, and we touched on that with the Jiangxi episode a while back. You know. Yep. You get a little uh, Samo Hong and hide in the closet because jumpy dudes are coming after you. Absolutely. You got it all good. Yep. Let's get the show on the road, brother. Yeah, we got an interview coming up with Michael DeMarco, and it's time to dial in with him. So uh, we're going to run through the Champagne Lounge, grab every bottle we can find, and we'll be right back. Okay, folks, we're back. We've got Michael DeMarco, the uh, editor for some 20 years of the Journal of Asian Martial Arts on the line with us, and uh, we're going to find out all about the journal and what he does and everything else. Uh, say hi yeah, to everybody. Hello, everybody, and uh, Dave and Craig, I thank you for inviting me here today. Thank it, you for coming out. Yes, it's our pleasure, sir. Um, Definitely. You're a personal hero of mine. I've been a big fan of the magazine, and... Um, what the magazine was set out to do, and I don't even know if that's proper term for it. It's not really a magazine; it's more of a—it's a journal. Journal, yeah, exactly. So uh, it's a real honor to uh, be able to chat with you. Well, uh, it's a pleasure, and uh, maybe with your good questions there today, we can get some extra insight into uh, the journal and what's going on in, in the field today. Absolutely. Well, let's let's go ahead and get started before we get into the journal itself with uh, a little bit about you. Um, why don't you go ahead and, and tell everybody listening about uh, about yourself, what your early training was like, uh, you know, your favorite martial arts, that sort of thing. Okay. Well, I uh, had my original interest came up in uh, grade school, and I. Uh, in part because I had a friend who was studying uh, Kung Tao and some Silat from uh, Art Sykes who, and also William Readers, one of the first to bring Kung Tao and Silat to the United States. Yeah. Uh, so here I am in eighth grade starting off with that and continue through high school. Um, I think it was a really superb background for martial arts, uh, as far as being a very practical martial art. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think from there, when I was in college, I started studying Chinese, and my teacher actually knew uh, the basics for Tai Chi. Ah. So I was introduced that way, and at that time, not too many people were even aware of what Tai Chi was or that it existed. 
And after graduation, uh, he introduced me to a, a teacher in Taiwan, and I went over there to study. Uh, his name was Yang Qingyu, a student of uh, a famous teacher there called Xiong Yonghe. Um, mm-hmm. Of course, many of the <clears throat> teachers in Taiwan were from mainland China. Right, kicked out the diaspora or fled. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so I ended up going back to Taiwan like for a year at a time, a number of times, and ended up focusing on Yang style Tai Chi. Even though uh, one of the years I was there, I focused on Chen style under Du Yusu and Tu Songren. And Master Du was one of the rare people in Taiwan also that uh, not too many were teaching Chen style. And his father was governor of the area where the Chen village was, where oh. Tai Chi started. So the head of the uh, Chen style at the time, Chen Yanxi, uh, he became a family bodyguard. So a nice way to learn under the under the main lineage there. Yeah, absolutely. Um when you when you shifted over from from Salat from Kuntao to to Taiji was um, I mean the people you're training under sound like they they were, had the self defense aspect of Tai Chi forefront, um, being more traditional about it. But was was there a a difference in the aggress- aggressiveness or this uh, you know uh, was it a shock to go from one to the other? Is what I'm trying to get at. Uh yeah, I I would say the Kung Tao background was more uh, practical and uh, as far as self defense goes. Okay. Uh, but at the same time, it was pretty brutal. So in, in one case, it's nice for self defense, but it's almost like uh, overdone. Right. <laughs> right. Not exactly <laughs> you <know>. sophisticated, but uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but effective. It's uh, they didn't deal with holding people down and being a little more gentle to them. And on the other side, sometimes the, the Tai Chi people were uh, maybe too soft and too easygoing and, and not uh, focused on the self-defense parts. Right. So I think it was a nice combination to have this Silat uh, Kung Tao background. And I think Tai Chi has all of the similar aspects, but they're just not focused on today with many teachers. I think that's a very good point. Um, it, it sounds like it's that strain of Tai Chi that kind of grew up, and, and most people today are more familiar. You know, they think Tai Chi, it's for older people, slow moving, and all this good stuff. Usually, those people have only seen, uh, you know, bad renditions of Yang style, and usually by those people who don't know the martial intent or applications. So, I'm, I'm curious. Uh, two things. One, uh, where in, in Taiwan you spent most of your time? I guess, living and training. And then also, you mentioned that uh, you spent most of your time studying Yang style, a little bit of Chen. Um, I'm curious, a lot of people who have gone Yang and then got some Chen tend to say, oh, well, Chen's much more martial, let me stay here. Uh, or they, they do the history and say, well, it came from here, so it must be the only thing. Um, but in fact, you know, a lot of people like yourself did stick it out with Yang style. Uh, what was your thought process behind that as well, if you don't mind? Well, good, Chris, uh, good, good question there for sure. Um, for practical applications, it seems like China style would be the way to go. 
but uh, I think many of the young style practitioners are actually too hard. <laughs> right. <laughs> And even the Chen stylist, many of those, of course, even harder yet. <laughs> uh, underneath it all, uh, the founder of the Yang style, uh, of course, he studied Chen style. So all the foundation is there. I think it depends how you use it. So I'm really not too fussy about what style is being done. It's what you're, uh, what you're really, what you really know about it. And do you understand the principles, and can you put it into practice? Yeah, it's it's strange. I mean, uh, some of the some of the Chen style practitioners I've been around, uh, like I, I threw a Chen style teacher one time doing push hands with him by simply relaxing and bending over because he was just draped on me like a blanket <laughs> and pressing on me. And I'm like, that, I, this doesn't seem like what push hands is supposed to be about. He was mad, though. He said I broke the rules. Uh, <laughs> I'm like, all I did was collapse, dude. But uh, it seems like uh, overall that, that Chin Style maybe has retained some of the older, kind of more weaponized or battlefield-oriented. Like there seems to be more leaning more fast movements, and Yang style seems to be sort of condensed more specifically as an empty hand system. I may be way off base there, but, you know, what's your opinion? Well, I think that's uh, some good vision there. Uh, almost all of these styles, it doesn't matter what style, um, if people are involved with their forms, fast or slow, it really doesn't make any difference that uh, if they go through a form fast, doesn't mean that they could use it for self-defense. Right. <laughs> and uh, so in, in any style, you need to practice the applications in a realistic way. And young style practitioners, if they only focus on the long, slow forms, um, that's all they'll be good at. So same thing with Chen style. If you're practicing the forms, you, you learn the techniques, but doesn't mean that you understand them. Right. Exactly. Exactly. <clears throat> Well, let's uh, let's let's move along because I really want to talk to you about about the journal. Um, of course, if we've left anything out of your history, you wanted to get out there. Go ahead and and let it out now. <laughs> <laughs> well, for my own history, uh, we probably pretty much covered that. I I think it's important, uh, like mentioning that my focus on Yang style. I I think that's built in for health and especially helping some uh, other people and elderly. Mm -hmm. And elderly doesn't have to be too old. Uh, 60s, 70s, uh, some of my teachers were going into their 90s and still teaching. But um, So I think it's good for your health and also for self-defense. So for myself, it's a combination of all of that and a good way to... uh, spend my free time yeah and you know once you're past your 40s unless you're a complete (laughs) a-hole there's (laughs) the chances of you getting into a fight at the local bar or whatever else you know go just go way down so i I think at some point in your life it really does become more about maintaining your health and and enjoying life oh yeah than about you know being super fighty with it but then again it's nice to know it's like i tell people kung fu is just like yoga except when somebody comes to knock you off your cushion you know what to do about it <laughs> right and hopefully hopefully being older and more mature give you some self-defense techniques that are just verbal exactly and maybe body language where uh, you have no fight at all 
Right. It's not necessary, even if you if you can physically. There's no need for it. Right, and uh, you know, and but you still want to keep in your back pocket that ability. You know, you want to be able to to walk around dominance violence, but you know, if you're faced with predatory violence, then it's still good to have that technique and and, and all that stuff in your back pocket for if you right. if you ever at actually any, do need it at any age. Yeah. yeah. Principles of body motion can't hurt you at any age, you know, regardless whether you're doing a long, slow form or, or whatever it might be. I think that's why I'm working now more with the cane and the stick. There you go. <laughs> I love the cane, too. I love the cane, too. I'm, I'm only 44, but only doesn't seem like the right word for it. <laughs> Those have been hard off-road miles, a lot of them. <laughs> I'm going to have to learn some of that from you there, Dave, because, as you know, recently my my right knee went to pot, and uh, so I'm starting to use the cane around the house. Well, you're, you're still a whippersnapper. I think you'll recover if you let yourself. Uh, I hope so. <laughs> yeah, but anyway, let's let's move along. Um, uh, the journal itself, uh, and uh, known as JAMA to everyone, although not this, not the Journal of the American Medical Association, <laughs> which I thought was funny. Dave Lowry and your your new book, Asian Martial Arts, which is sort of a retrospective of the journal, uh, points that out at the very beginning of his essay. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and uh, that's a fantastic book too, and we'll get to that in a minute. But let's talk about the journal itself. I mean, what possessed you to sit down and start doing this? Because you must have known even at the time that you were running towards an extremely high hurdle. Do an academic style journal with martial artists. Yes, um, you can guess. If this started twenty years ago, I was into martial arts before that time. Right. So. 30, 40 years ago, what type of materials existed. And uh, if anybody wanted to learn a martial art, you can only learn about whatever you're exposed to, either through um, some type of film, which they didn't have computers and YouTube. Right. Uh, <laughs> you know, and also there weren't uh, too many styles available. So when I uh, started off, I was trying to do some research, and uh, a lot of the materials just weren't too good, not very reliable or accurate. <clears throat> so later, going to college and uh, doing some postgraduate studies, like with my, I did an MA in Asian studies, um, I ended up bringing that type of research uh, to the martial traditions with the journal saying it's not good enough just to write something about the martial arts, but you have to have the background of where the material came from. Is it true or not? That's the bottom line. Right. And, and also an academic so perspective. Uh, if you go to any college, uh, what fields of study do they have? Anthropology, business, uh, history, sciences, um, all of those type of things, linguistics, you can study martial arts through those uh, those different know, avenues. Those yeah, right. So that's what we try to do with the journal: is to get specialists in all these different fields to uh, add to the uh, martial art bank of knowledge through their perceptions and experience and expertise. So I think that's why we have such a variety of articles dealing with health. Uh, history, culture, um, from even uh, different cultures, because we have articles dealing with India or Indonesia, 
not just uh, China, Japan, and Korea, we always tried to have in a journal. Right. Um, in some of these other areas, like Mongolia, yeah. <laughs> just, just not so common. Right. And a, a lot of the stuff that I read in there was, uh, you know, sort of, it was a little bit peripheral, but it was fascinating at the same time. Like, I remember, I don't remember who wrote it, but I remember a really good uh, article on the the Asian, the Chinese uh, tongs, the gangs, and their, you know, relationship with martial arts and ritual and stuff that, that was a real eye-opener for me. Mm-hmm. Stuff like that's hard to find good information on. Oh, yeah. Especially coming, you know, when you started this journal, I think, you know, there were probably Black Belt and a couple of Kung Fu magazines out there. But, you know, these were 90% promotional and 10% informational from most of my experience with them. And, you know, it, it was a, it was refreshing to see a nice uh, journal-style magazine with, uh, you know, maybe a pleasing illustration on the cover as opposed to some other guy pretending to rip another guy's throat out and these just anguished expressions on their faces. And right. <laughs> it's like, Oh God, uh, that's a little too intense. <laughs> um, yeah, we, go ahead. Well, I'm just thinking of, uh, when we started off, we didn't have any illustrations on the cover. Oh. Um, later on, we, um, I, we were basically selling, uh, subscriptions, just individual because I didn't think the journal would sell well in the stores. But uh, we ended up, I think, the second year, third year, fourth year, uh, trying in the stores, and it did, it did okay. So that's why we had to change the cover and put uh, the barcode on and right. try to make the cover look a little bit uh, attractive. And so there was some evolution there. Yeah, I didn't find out about it uh, until it was in the stores, and you know, I, I gotta say, I gotta admit to you that I was one of those guys that would uh, pick it up on the newsstand and skim through it to see if there was anything I was specifically interested in before I actually bought it because it, it felt kind of pricey in my early twenties. You know, oh yeah, me too. Mid twenties, uh, it's like, oh man, I want this magazine, but I gotta make sure I really want this magazine. But <laughs> I think you guys got a lot, a ton of readership that you 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 never got paid for essentially. Um. <laughs> Although I did, I did eventually, <laughs> I did eventually accumulate a, a big box full of, of, of issues that my uncle then threw away when I was storing it at his house. So um, that brings me to a question, which is: uh, Are these back issues going to be available uh, going forward? Are you doing a digital archive, or how will people, you know, be able to reference this material? Well, um, during the past five years or so, I've tried desperately to uh, work toward a digital format and I think all of the technology is there but I've spent thousands of dollars and uh, weeks and weeks of time uh, that were pretty much wasted because the website people uh, failed to do their jobs. So finally actually this week I'm hoping to have a new website that has all of the articles, individual articles. So like you were saying, if you, if you saw a journal, maybe you'd like one article out of it, but you'd hate to buy the whole journal because the other articles aren't of your interest. So this way, anyway, um, people can get whatever articles they want, specific titles, and uh, do a search. And we hope to have all of that uh, on a nice website this week. Great. Yeah, that sounds awesome. Yeah. And you know, we- almost almost 500 articles 
And we also hope to uh, periodically add new articles to the website. Oh, oh, that's, yeah, interesting. So sort of keep it going in a lower lower intensity format for you. Right, so uh, I don't have to uh, work seven days a week. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's and, great. Uh, you know, get some good articles uh, up there periodically, and I think that'll be worth, worth, uh, worth doing for sure. So it looks like uh, the Journal of Asian Martial Arts is not completely dying out. Uh, it, you're going lower intensity, and it will be putting forth new content, but in a digital format. Right. And uh, what's interesting, even for myself, um, a lot of times I refer to the older articles. Mm. So it's, you know, a lot of it is great research, great experience, even comparatively um, with something done today versus 10 years ago, 20 years ago. It's nice to read the differences. Yes. And evolution. Um, so I think the, the material is, is superb, so we should keep it available. Yeah, and I think you've laid a great foundation for martial arts research and, and all of these scholarly avenues moving forward. You know, people don't have to start from scratch anymore because, you you know, over the 20 years or so, you guys covered a broad range of stuff and uh, all of it was, you know... Uh, presented in an academic format so it will fit with future research and i think that's fantastic and also i'm really glad that it's not completely done because my my hopes of one day being published in the august journal of asian martial arts are not completely shattered exactly (laughs) i'll I'll hold you to that okay (laughs) i'm waiting for the submission there we go all right yes uh and with the journal i you probably are familiar with the logo Mm -hmm. uh which which symbolizes a pen and a sword tip. Yes. So this has been a theme for the journal to keep things uh, with the pen is more on the academic side and the sword tip, the martial. So we've always tried to have uh, both sides, something very practical. Uh, for example, the martial arts that uh, people need for law enforcement or military uh, for the street and and plus the thoughtful side that really dealing into the history and linguistics. And why I mention that is there, there's a continuing need for other people to continue these studies and research and writing, you know, either articles or books in the future. Absolutely. So, so it's, kind of, it's nice to see uh, people building on the past. And we did it with the journal. Uh, 20 years ago starting off and we said okay we're starting from here it's not totally from scratch yeah was there uh, a, was there any influence from like don drager's hoplology efforts and that sort of thing early well, early on not so much in in my side but a lot of the authors uh, that wrote for the journal they were influenced by drager's uh, research and also practical side of his uh, travels and living overseas. Mm-hmm. A lot of people are, they know Don Drager's books, mainly dealing with the Japanese traditions, but he also did work in Indonesia and traveled around uh, different areas and uh, did research. And that's a lot of his research and his followers, uh, they have good materials, but they're not readily available. Right. So that's one problem. Uh, 
And that's a problem with martial arts in general, with the research. Sometimes uh, people really don't work together or share things or uh, collaborate um, in yeah. different efforts. What is it about martial arts that makes people so cagey? <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, I, I think there is something inherent in there. You know, it's like self-protection and, um, you know, putting up some walls rather than working together. Maybe that's why push hands can be so much fun. <laughs> I, you know? Yeah, I guess at one point it was sort of, you know, military secrets anyway. So maybe that's, that attitude is hung around. Yeah, and I think that in, in a lot of ways that's good. I've had uh, one writer in particular, I remember he had a fabulous, fabulous article dealing with uh, martial arts in India, and uh, he contacted me and said, can you take out these certain, you know, maybe just two lines, just take them out. And the reason are, you know, that he gave was uh, that really the knowledge that's given there is maybe a little too detailed, Mm-hmm. And, it's, and it shouldn't really be given out. It's not that you want to hold back, but uh, you want to make sure that that knowledge goes to people who are responsible for it. Right. Yeah, that's one of the things, Pearl before, Pearls Before Swine thing, that you happen to find. I think <clears throat> one of the reasons that I've always loved this publication is the logo that we were talking about earlier, the pen and the sword, reminds me of an old, uh, I'm sure a lot of Asian and probably around the world, cultures have this, but the idea of Wu literature plus martial, um, and just like in, in Chin Man Ching's Eight uh, Excellences and, and, and all that sort of thing, which was more common in, in older traditional martial arts of a balancing of study. Um, and that's one thing I really appreciate, appreciate about your journal and, and very pleased to hear that it's going to keep going, at least in the digital format, because with the advent of today... I'm all for the, uh, you know, cage sport of combat and stuff like that. But that's kind of where the, the public is looking towards of about martial practicality, economy of motion. Let's uh, distill a tradition down to its bare essence, yada, yada, yada. Um, and, and that's great. But there also needs to be that, that yang to that yin, if you would, of something of your publication that definitely helps to keep certain traditions alive um, and... It's tough, uh, especially when you hit, I imagine, uh, for me at least, uh, the Republican era where you get all the guys uh, that are creating stories uh, out of myth. And, you know, then you have people in the future that are basing their stories off of this guy and off this guy. And it was really based off of a myth rather than looking at the actual source, going to the village, you know, talking to real practitioners, all that kind of stuff. Um, but in short, that's my take on the logo. I'm I'm a big fan of it, really, and what it stands for. Well, I I think you hit some good ideas there, and with the martial traditions, it's interesting because uh, of what people are exposed to and how they think, and what's the purpose behind the practice. Mm-hmm. And I think. Uh, like the headhunters of Borneo, they might look at things one way, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know, versus somebody like Chung Man Ching, who's uh, a medical doctor and, and educated backgrounds. These people are actually thinking about what they're doing, so it makes them sometimes more aware of not just their immediate surrounding, but how it affects the society. Exactly, so, and uh, uh, there's probably an element in there too of you know and. 
in older days, I think there was a lot of emphasis before you let that serious secret out of the bag, you know, the, the, the real dangerous stuff, I guess, in other words, or the really esoteric stuff, you wanted a really good measure of the, uh, the, uh, you know, content student. of the character of your student. Right. And I think it happens in other areas too, especially like in medicine and acupuncture, there's really a same tradition of being like in the Chinese styles of being adopted so you're an adopted student, so you don't call your teacher uh, Laosher. Yeah, you know, you, yeah. You have a teacher is one thing, but if you become adopted, you call your your teacher now as your sure fu. So right. that means, fu means father. Yeah. So it's a totally different relationship in the teaching system that will be different. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and, and it, you know... I guess commercialization makes it difficult to to maintain a, a you know. <laughs> it cheapens exactly. it cheapens a lot of the stuff. YouTube yeah. today and commercialization it cheapens a lot of it. But you got to go with the times. But at the same time, how do you keep some of what should be quote unquote sacred still a little bit sacred? It's a t- it's a tough game to play in modern days. That's for sure. Well, when I started researching Tai Taiji. Uh, I read that Chen style was extinct. Hmm. So that's, uh, say, over 20-something years ago. So, of course, it's everywhere today, it seems like. Yeah, the rumors <laughs> of its demise were greatly exaggerated. <laughs> right. But, Never heard uh, of such a thing. But it's interesting, too, that sometimes there's many more practitioners, but maybe the number of masters have remained the same, <laughs> right. which, is, which there are very few. True. So Master Du, Du Yusu, in Taiwan, and reading about him the first time, uh, they said he was like a unicorn and a phoenix or something, but a unicorn you've heard of, but never have seen. Right. <laughs> so his style was pretty rare. And I like uh, like some of the other interviews you've done with uh, people that, you know, have this time in the field, like uh, especially Alan Pittman. You know, what a broad uh, experience he has. And LSM Amdur with uh, his focus on the Japanese old traditions, or Chris Bates with the Chinese, uh, Stephen Kofer with Sambo, which is uh, more popular today. People are more aware of it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, These are great, uh, great interviews, and you're really bringing good people to the forefront so others can. I guess benefit from their experience. Yeah, well, we really appreciate appreciate you saying that. But really, the main reason we're doing it is because we're benefiting from their experience too. <laughs> Indeed. I mean the the idea for this show at the beginning was just to have that that beautiful place after training where everybody sits down, the teacher and the students and whoever, and you crack a couple of beers open and you just start talking. Because everybody knows, usually the real foo is after class. <laughs> right. That's where. Yeah. We. One group of anthropologists, every year there'd be, a, you know, scholarly meetings and paper presentations, and that gave an excuse for a few anthropologists to have a panel on martial arts. Mm. So, of course, the best times that we had, I think we'd say we were ready to for beer dough. You know? There you yeah. go. <laughs> go and, and lift our glass and sit around the table and talk about things, and that's uh, beneficial in itself. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, if you've just broken a sweat training before that, then it's all okay. You balanced it out, right? That's right. 
Well, let's, uh, <clears throat> so, uh, you know, before we leave the topic of the journal itself and, uh, we're not going to leave book, it too. Yeah. We're not going to leave it, but I want to talk about the book you, you've just released. Um, but I want to know after 20 years of, of, of doing this journal, l- looking back, can you put your finger on maybe the favorite thing that you learned from, from, you know, having all these different voices coming into you and, uh, you know, maybe something that really stuck with you out of that. What, do you have a favorite, not necessarily article, but lesson you learned from it? Well, I think from uh, it's it's really in the work itself, and there's a, a ton of frustrations that go along with with this type of work. <laughs> you really have to deal with many many people, and as a business, you have to deal with printers and distributors and all of that. Right, and all of. Most of that is pretty difficult work. Um, so what's the benefit? I think the the biggest benefit for myself was to to be open to all of these people and to communicate and get a broader perspective of the martial arts and what they really entail. And also, uh, I think the friendships that evolved out of some of this and the new book is a product of that. It's... Uh, brings together a lot of the people who were involved with the journal for since it started 20 years ago and uh, great admiration for uh, a good handful of people that are extremely dedicated scholars and practitioners mm-hmm. and sometimes they're both sometimes they're focused on one side right so I think that that's really the biggest benefit makes sense yeah Getting a more balanced picture of something that you might ordinarily have just gotten one-sided view of. Right, and, you know, a practitioner, say, uh, like Alan Pittman, if he's saying something... I haven't heard um, of this guy. <laughs> you know, he, he's not your typical scholar. He's more of a researcher practitioner. It's not your typical and, anything. But he's, he's done the travels and studied with great people, Versus uh, somebody who's maybe filled with hype. Right. And they might be giving you stories that they've heard. This is part of research, too. If you've, if you've read books that aren't um, written by somebody of authority and you repeat it, that doesn't make you a scholar. Right, True. exactly. So you have to really look at your sources. So Good quote. Um, many of the people that I just really admire, people like... Um, John Donahue, who's an anthropologist through his background, but he's practiced uh, a number of martial arts, mainly the Japanese. Um, Kai Filipiak, uh, he sent an email today from Germany. He's probably one of the top, not probably, he is one of the top uh, China martial art researchers. Oh, okay. You know, and it's, and it's strange because even though he's German background, his English is superb. And character superb. Chinese and, uh, character? You, par- uh, pardon me? The Chinese characters? Craig, Craig uh, was making a little joke. <laughs> His name sounds a little Chinese. And other people like Stan Henning we have uh, oh, yeah. in, the, in the States. You know, he does really good research. But it's all like in an infant stage. There's, there's still so much to do. Yeah. Well, let's, uh, let's talk about this uh, book. It's not a... It's not a compendium. It's more of a, a heartfelt retrospective on the Journal of Asian Martial Arts called Asian Martial Arts, Constructive Thoughts and Practical Applications. 
Um, and in this, you have a section, I think it's uh, eight or nine uh, essays, and then about 20 of uh, some of the people you've already mentioned uh, giving just their favorite practical technique and uh, a little bit about where they learned it and a little bit of explanation, some photographs and stuff. And it's a really fascinating book. Uh, why, don't you, why don't you tell everybody that's listening sort of what brought that about and how it came together? Okay. Well, the main reason why it came together was in celebration of uh, what the journal did for 20 years. Um, some people might take this as, mm, I don't know, kind of a repeat of the journal or whatever, but it's as a book, it stands on its own. Yeah. And um, in celebration of the journal, it's almost like a, a photograph taken today, um, looking through the journal's perspective of that Wen Wu, you know, the marshal and the culture. So we have the first part with the constructive thoughts, and these are sections by scholars dealing with different areas of uh, the, the Asian traditions, you know, with the overviews and focuses on uh, areas like uh, China, Japan, or Korea, um, with the second part being the practical applications. And the practical applications are 27 articles, and um, there's... <laughs> Basically, I asked the, all of these are very well-known practitioner instructors and said, okay, what, uh, what are your favorite two techniques or so? Why are they favorite? Uh, where did you learn them? What maybe memories do you have associated with them? And what are some tips for our readership? So if you look at those questions and read every article in there, it's interesting because none of them knew about the other writers or what they were going to write, but what are the common threads through all of that? What are the differences? And yeah. sometimes that was very interesting, either they're dealing with techniques or the theory behind the techniques or the story behind the techniques. Uh, as far as the scholars go, um, like sometimes I say that sounds a little Ivy League, <laughs> but uh, to ask them to write these sections, I, I told them, just like Dave was saying, like we're sitting down uh, at a table with a few beers, and just tell me what you think. There you go. Yeah. We don't need, I don't need the footnotes and references here, because their whole history is dealt upon their scholarship. People know that. Right. So I wanted a little more casual and, and personal. So that's kind of how this book came about. Even though it's in celebration of the journal, um, the practical applications have really nothing to do with the journal itself. They're all dealing on their own topics. The constructive thoughts are taking the end of the journal and saying, okay, here's where we are today. How do we look at our studies? Uh, what more is there to do in this field? You know, if uh, it could be dealing with Indonesia or India, any area, um, where do we go from here? Mm. So yeah. the only, the, the main part in the book that takes uh, a closer look at the journal history, which I had a tongue-in-cheek uh, title for it, was The Secrets of an Asian Martial Arts Publisher. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> nice. So, so hopefully people got a chuckle out of some of that, even though it's serious. Oh, yeah. Right. There, there's some funny stories in there. I might try to squeeze a couple of them out of you here, too. Uh, <laughs> Very cool. 
Let me ask you this. Um, one thing that I, I found really cool with the book, I have yet to go through it, um, but I just I, I absolutely fell in love with the cover uh, because of the illustration um, on the front cover. It reminded me, you know, of, of Miyamoto Musashi, but he's also holding uh, what looks like to be a guantao or shoot, it could be a, a large or long pudao, but it's got that Chinese brushstroke pattern or, or just old traditional brushstroke pattern. It shows intention. It shows all this. But it also shows that old Asian uh, tradition of kind of hiding martial truths within art. And when I looked at, at, at the cover illustration, it just reminded me of Wenwu all over again. And also kind of what the book is, is representing of uh, that yin-yang balance of scholarship plus uh, getting out and actually doing the doing the work. Um, if you wouldn't mind just telling us a little bit about the illustration, how you uh, chose the artist and, and what it means to you. Okay, well, the, this was a, a fun cover to work on, and I think it was probably inspired through this art. Um, and I came to know the artist because of a an article we did in the journal on ancient... Chinese cultural heroes, mm-hmm. almost like um, like the knights or something of Europe. Uh, there's an old tradition there of uh, the Wu Xia. Yeah. And uh, so I needed illustrations, and I found this artist in Taiwan, Yang um, Zhongshan, and her work was so unique. She she combines the traditional brush stroking uh, Chinese style. But she also uses some computer technology involved. Hmm. So, but her, what's interesting is what she's capturing. Exactly. And a lot of it is movement and the real feeling behind uh, her illustrations that I really like. Yeah, so there's it, there's good flow to to it. It looks it looks real, you know, mm-hmm. in that sense, right. or hyper real, yeah. I should say. And she did a few in in the book. Um, one of them is just a, a man standing there that uh, has a top knot and very it's very colorful the original, but um, so I think that her her photos or illustrations add a lot to the book. The cover I wanted to make unique overall. Uh, the finished product, the Asian martial arts, that title is in a red uh, metallic. Right. So it's not even ink. It's a red metallic has a little shine to it at angles. And the image, what they did was uh, they coated the whole cover gloss, and then they take away around the image and make it matte. Well, subtractive. Interesting. So it makes the image stand out even more. And then we have what they call a French fold. So the, the ends of the cover fold back, and you can use them for a bookmark or whatever. No, I should point out to the people that you were kind enough to send me a galley copy of the book, which I very much appreciate. So I could, you know, get get into it before we spoke. Uh, but uh, I've seen pictures. I think Stephen Kepfer put something up on Facebook the other day that he had a few copies of the book, and uh, it looks really nice. So this is what I'm going to have to go out and, and get the actual fancy version of for myself. <laughs> Definitely, I am too. Well, I think I I need some to send a couple for uh, the. Eha Library, you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no problem. <laughs> okay. 
And, uh, you know, one of the reasons I, I would like to have that book to refer back to over and over again, um, the, the practical section of it, you've got all these people are, are well known for what they do. Um, and it's just each one of them talking about their favorite technique. I just love one, the fact that they're all nice and simple. You could actually go through there and learn these techniques out of the book if you have a background already, you know, and just being able to compare, you know, nobody came up with the flying triple death kick as their favorite technique, (laughs) you know, and nobody went for the, you know, uh, just stab myself and then stab the guy behind me. You know, you know, there's just nothing fancy like that in there. And you think all these high profile people, somebody would break ranks and be like, yeah, it's a backflip somersault over the horse, you know, uh, kick or the, you know, the the blowpipe swimming up and killing somebody with a blowgun or something like that, but it's not. It's all just simple, practical, effective stuff. That's how we all learn. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I think sometimes uh, as we practice, it's like they say in Japan, if by the time you get your black belt, it means you're ready to learn. Mm-hmm. Exactly. In the U.S., sometimes you're black belt, okay, you're a teacher now. And there right. it means you're ready to learn, and they start all over again. Mm-hmm. So it's learning all of those basic techniques and getting better, better with them. You know. Yeah, a good martial art, I think, is uh, I don't want to say retroactive, but regressive. In that, once you get through that system, whatever it is, if you go back to the beginning, you're it's a whole new ball of wax, and you can go through the whole thing again and learn, or you can peel layers off the onion, or you know, go up the spiral, whatever. I, yeah. I, I'm going to fall into Bagua analogies really quickly, but. Um, you know, I love the, the like for instance the Bagua do. It's a, it's fairly compact compared to a lot of Chinese systems. You know, there's you know 108 movements in the whole thing, which are you know single movements or short forms. Um, and after learning the whole thing, I went back and I spent months just doing the 24 basics again because I understood them so much better and was getting so much more out of it the second time around. Right. I, I hope to get back to Taiwan now that uh, I hope have some time to do that and what i really look forward to doing is seeing the beginning of the tai chi forms <laughs> there you <laughs> go yeah. now you have better eyes and understanding and you could look closer and uh, also to see how other people have uh, changed the same style uh, as you know any one teacher if they have 20 students you're going to have 20 different versions following that teacher in a lot of cases yeah style creep we call it so, <laughs> mm-hmm and nice to see the variations and, and why. You know, sometimes it's because uh, a lack of skills. Sometimes it's because of uh, extra skills. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Well, I think, you know, if, if you saw an art passed on for a generation or two and it didn't change at all, I'd be worried about that because, you know, martial arts are living systems. They have to adapt to the times and to the practitioners. And, and you know, if, if nothing changes, it almost seems like a dead branch. Right. True yeah, indeed. There, were, there was one Filipino stylist who uh, really moved his back leg a lot in a lot of the techniques and it became uh, a trait. And uh, how he developed the style was he was uh, in prison and they nailed one of his foot, uh, front foot down to the ground. <laughs> ah. So that gave him some uh, a different reason to practice. Yeah, gave yeah. him a little leg room. Way. Yeah, right. He should he should have started doing bagua then because all we do is walk in circles uh, anyway. <laughs> I'll tell you, you might get a kick out of this. Um, just uh, last weekend, I was doing this for my students. I teach Northern Shaolin. You know, it's it's 
completely different content-wise, I well, from the <clears throat> beginner looking at the content, it's completely different from Tai Chi. But once you get down to it, all the stuff's the same. It's just intention, how you use it, all that. But last week I was uh, teaching them Kaiser for Yang style or Chin style or anything. Uh, just the simple thing where your your legs are together, you sink down, and then you step the left leg out, and without looking at the leg, or the foot rather, it's placed, you know, uh, directly parallel to the other foot. And I use this just as an example and as a drill to get them out of looking down to see if their feet are in alignment or in the right place. So... You know, this comes back to the whole idea where regardless, like you were mentioning earlier, yang style, chin style, all this kind of stuff, you're going to find grass sparrow's tail all over the place. It's all going to be relevant. It's just going to be a different flavor on it depending upon who you learned from, when, and what they were going through. You know, yeah, I, I noticed in, in our new book here there was an um, <clears throat> Indonesian practitioner from England, uh, Davies, and um, some of the movements look very close to the Chen style. Hmm. You know, so it's sometimes it has nothing to do with style, but it's just plain old martial arts. The foundation is how we're built and how we need to move. Definitely. Yeah, I mean, the physics right. of the human body, you know, don't change from style to style. So there's bound to be some similarities at the core. Right, like Craig says with, uh, I think it's a great idea to move and not look at your feet because we're taking away the thinking process and dealing more with feeling. Mm-hmm. Right. As soon as one foot goes down, it determines where the other one can go comfortably. Exactly. Yeah, if you have to think about that, you're not going to move to it. It'd be like a centipede, you know? <laughs> exactly. And it all has to be drilled down to spontaneous movement at some point. Mm-hmm. I tell my right. students, I don't care where you put your feet, just put them in the right place. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> <laughs> because if you know, you know, if you've got that rooting and balance and everything else that you're trying to develop, once that clicks, then, you know, it's not like you have to do the XYZ step exactly like it looks in the forum because you might be standing on someone's foot or stepping off the edge of a building, you know. You you've got to do it the way it needs to be done for the circumstances. Right. Yeah, I know uh one of my students um uh, I looked at him and uh, I could feel the pain in my legs by looking at his stance. Because I could, I, to me, I would feel pressure in my knee and everything if I had my feet in almost opposite directions. Ouch! But uh, <laughs> rather than co- correct him and say you have to stand a certain way, I said just stand up, relaxed. And his toes were maybe more than ninety degrees in different directions, just in his relaxed stance. Wow! So his his bone structure is different than mine. Right, you know, not everybody's pelvis is shaped the same. <laughs> right, pelvis and knees. So that, uh, it's important to find your own comfort zones. Definitely. Now, do you teach a lot of students or just a few people? What's your teaching career like? Well, I've been teaching part-time for some years now, almost as long as the journal, I would guess. Um, so it's been starting off with a few friends, and then a few more would come in and in Santa Fe, New Mexico, where I am now, I have uh, some long-time students, and uh, I hope to put more time into teaching 
and mainly that's the selfish reason reason that I want more exercise myself. There you <laughs> yeah, go. And, <laughs> and I need to get away from the computer. I used to work seven days a week uh, on the journal. We're guilty so of the same, so don't worry. Yeah, there. <laughs> it's uh, day and night, seven days. And uh, I remember an associate editor saying, well, what do you do with your time? <laughs> I just right. start laughing. <laughs> Have you seen the magazine? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what time? Well, when they see it, they think, well, you know, you flow everything in there, you throw the text in there, you pop the pictures in there, and, you know, okay, so that took a day or two. Well, what do you do the rest <laughs> of the week? Right. <laughs> For the next two months, what are you doing, you know? So anyway, I I feel the effect from sitting at the computer and, you know, all the muscles and bones, everything's tightened up. So it'll be good to put more time into teaching, and I've enjoyed that for for many many reasons, um, and maybe teaching more too. I'd like to get a few younger people in. Uh, you talked about the practicality of uh, the martial arts, and if you're teaching all older people, they're more interested in health. Right, right. So there's some things that I haven't been able to work with, and I think uh, age group makes a big difference there. Definitely. Age group and interest, and, and again, you're dealing with character, too. Yeah. Well, you get your whippersnappers in there and plant them once or twice, and you'll see who's got the character and who doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Well, speaking of getting planted, uh, I, I wanted to ask you this before we're, we're running up on time here in a little bit, but I wanted to make sure I got around to, you know, editing a journal with uh, martial arts can people contributing and uh you know being edited and so forth did you did you ever have any dust-ups or any uh you know any bad blood with anybody because because of your role as the editor of the magazine well a lot of memories with that with uh, all of the uh, article submissions you're running into different characters and uh it's interesting that some of our better articles uh as far as writing goes were by foreigners Oh, wow. So sometime you would get an article in, and it would look like it didn't need any editing or very, very little. And uh, sometimes the PhDs, sometimes they were the worst. So you had to edit a lot, and, of course, some of them are pretty uh, picky about what's changed in their articles and why. Um, like when we first came out, we started using the Chinese uh, romanization opinion. Yes. So something like uh, Taoism isn't spelled with a T, it's spelled with a D. And if you do that to somebody's name, it's like sacrilegious. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. So again, people hate us for doing something that's academically correct. They just don't want to, they don't know of the change or why the change was made. Um, right. I've found often with people's names, they often they don't follow any specific romanization. They're random yeah, choice. Yeah, they just sort of picked right. them out <laughs> exactly and uh so some all of the articles usually needed uh, a good amount of editing some some almost totally to be rewritten so i give a lot of credit to people who sent something in that was you know just could never be published and having them rewrite it and rejecting it again <laughs> and maybe three or four times but they would stick with it and then we would end up with a really nice piece yeah, that's good. Whereas other people, their egos were so huge that uh, they would just get angry and start swearing. And uh, 
I've been challenged to fist fights, uh, that, <laughs> you know, through phone or email. So luckily they didn't live too close. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> Gave them some time to simmer down, I guess. Yeah, I've been challenged to a lot of fist fights on the internet too. And you know, the funny thing is, when you offer to buy them a plane ticket and meet them between the bar and the hospital near the airport, they don't they show. Go. They just, uh, oh, oh, sorry, I didn't mean that. You know, I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's, uh, I got to admit, I stole that from Big Al. He's like, uh, yeah, just invite them. There's a, there's a bar and a hospital, share the same parking lot near the airport. Say so we'll just meet in the parking lot and we'll have it out and whoever loses either you know takes the uh, whoever loses either buys the drinks or the winner will take them to the hospital. <laughs> right. Well, it was a pleasure to work with people who you know we would question everything from uh, the romanization, the history, uh, the sources, and usually the articles would end up better than the author anticipated. Ah. So it was really fun to see somebody just be thrilled with their own work. They were surprised at what could be pulled out of them. Well, you know, so, yeah, there's yeah. you know, martial artists are not typically super scholarly people. So you know, I think it, it might have been a revelation for him to to you know see to to be coached into that side of things and see how well it worked. Right, to be a, a martial artist instructor is one thing; to be a writer is something else. Exactly. So I've, you know, I've did my academic studies in that, and all I know is I could keep learning from all of these people. So usually we would have uh, a few more associate editors look over articles. Right. And, you know, somebody would change a sentence, and the other person would change it back the other way, and <laughs> right. which way is correct. So that's one thing I learned from, uh, I thought, Robert Smith was fantastic. Uh, I published his last book uh, called Marshall Musings. Oh, wow. It was a monster of a book, about 400 pages, and his writing is just superb. And he would uh, ask people to read things, and he'd look over it, and he'd take time, and he'd send a postcard saying, change this one word from, you know, blue to azure or something just to... <laughs> Right. Get a different feeling, you know. He every word was like a note and a musical score, right? And uh, very detailed that way. But yeah, he had fun with it also. Yeah, you know? he, he was an amazing cat. I, I had the privilege of going through several boxes of his papers at one point, and just some hilarious things in there. Yes, the the practical jokes they played on each other in the uh, the quote unquote government uh, division he worked for were <laughs> priceless. <laughs> But, you know, before I let the cat too far out of the bag, um, and we're probably also about to get ambushed by my three-year-old here shortly. I think he's back from supper with his mother. Oh, dear. But before we let you go, and we're pushing up on an hour here, so we don't want to waste your whole evening. Uh, but before we let you go, one last question, which is basically, whether hence with you, what's, uh, you know, it, it sounds like you're going to keep the journal at least in a semi-dormant state for now, but still accepting articles and maybe putting them out intermittently. But what else have you got in the hopper? Well, I guess in a nutshell, uh, my main thing was to come to a nice close with the journal work, and I think that that book I'm very happy with, and uh, that feels good to get out now. Uh, in the future, we'll have, uh, you know, we we do have a book website, and then we'll have a new website for the journal material. 
So I hope to have, you know, articles periodically on the, with the journal site. And we'll probably be working with some authors to bring out some different books at later period, but nothing immediately, uh, nothing in the works yet. You know, I've talked to a few people and uh, we'll see how it goes. I'm just going to take it easy and try to uh, get my exercise in. There you go. Maybe next year I'll I'll have uh, more solid ideas. That awesome. sounds great. Let me let me ask you this. Um, just out of curiosity, let's say some of our listeners or myself <clears throat> um, one day would like to submit something. Uh, what would be a good URL to go check out uh, what is happening with the journal, perhaps a URL for the book, where to send my submissions? Well, if you're looking for like an article idea, then you could uh, search Journal of Asian Martial Arts. Uh, that is our URL, is journalofasianmartialarts.com. Okay. And, as a, and, of course, that's published by the Via Media Publishing. So that's what we use for our book website is viamediapublishing.com. And uh, even the name there, Via, means like way right. or road. And right. Media means middle. So that uh, actually has some, has some Asian overtones there. Yeah, but uh, anybody who wants to contact me about uh, writing ideas, you know, they're free to send an email through those sites, and uh, we'll take it from there. Great, awesome. Well, um, yeah, we definitely want to check back in with you in the future, and not only see how the publishing is going, but uh, you know, you mentioned you were going back through Taiwan, so I definitely would like to get your reflections on that when you return. And test your Chinese. You gotta, you gotta get back and work on that. You said you were gonna work on that and improve it. So I'll be right. here to test you. Yeah, I can't um, test you. <laughs> I want to get it from uh, kindergarten level up to first grade. Yeah. <laughs> Keep well, thank you uh, for your your time today and uh, what you're doing for the martial arts world. Uh, I look forward to your future interviews too. All right, well, we're going to do our best to keep them coming. And, uh, Michael, I must say it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for coming on Hiya. Okay, David, thank you very much, Craig. We'll talk with you later. Definitely. And to everybody else listening, uh, best wishes. Barely alive, barely made it. We had our own journal of Asian martial arts out, out in the <laughs> champagne lounge. Oh, journal martial arts. It was yeah. me going, I'm out. Any Audi, I don't care. Wait, let me move this microphone so I can look at you. Ah, I wish you wouldn't. I wish you wouldn't. I'm going to do it. You see, I'm in my pantyhose about now, right? Yeah, yeah. We got them pulled over your head. I do. All the way down to your toes. Licking and giggling. <laughs> 
how I roll. <laughs> Whatever that means. Uh, folks, okay, I guess it's Halloween. We can be a little creepy over here. <laughs> we want to thank Michael DeMarco for coming on and talking about the Journal of Asian Martial Arts. He is an awesome guy. We talked to him extensively before that interview, too. And he, he <laughs> I is, think we did. I that's think a little, we did. There's a little once. secret in there that maybe, you know, on, on, our, on an anniversary, if we make it 20 years like the Journal of Asian Martial Arts does, I'll let that cat out of the bag. There we go. But uh, for now, you know, we're just going <laughs> to we're just going to let that lay. Indeed. Um, before we wrap this up, there's no news or anything tonight. Uh, not that there's no news, but we're saving that for the next show. But I did want to throw a super quick media mop up out there. Uh, we haven't had any uh, movies lately, and I'm about to get back on that. The Halloween season's almost over, and there are a few things popping up now that I want to see. So finally, we're Good getting deal. some action over here. But in the meantime, uh, if you're looking for something to do with your time, and since I'm not recommending any martial arts movies for you, I got to recommend a book. A and book. I'll say, first off, this book is not going to be for everyone. It's uh, I'm not into it already. Yeah. Well, you, you can't read, and there's very few pictures What's in it. What's the point of so, reading? Look, yeah. And look at pictures. <laughs> you're an old school boxer. <laughs> <coughs> oh, excuse me, folks. God, that that uh, pine straw pollen. Mm. It'll get you. Uh, but anyway, uh, this book is called, um, it's called the better angels of our nature and it's hmm. by a fellow called Steven Pinker. Some of Sounds you... like bank. I don't know. No, <laughs> Steven Pinker. You may have heard of the Pinkertons. Yeah. I see what you're going at. Security. Uh, no, I don't think he's a security guy. Pinkerton. And he's, uh, for, for all I know, he's not a martial artist either, but this book is a brilliant, albeit 800 page long. I had wow. to renew it at the library twice to, to give it a decently careful reading, but it's, it's well worth it. I, this is one of those books that I'm going to buy a copy of now. Cool. Uh, just so I have it as a reference because Basically, his thesis in this book is that the world is vastly less violent now than it ever has been. And a lot of people would say, whoa, no, the world's a crazy place, and this is going on, that's going on. Media you know, has evolved. Yeah. Yeah, if it bleeds, it leads. But mm -hmm. he goes through it step by step from prehistory all the way up to modern times. And there, if you're a martial artist, obviously, especially if you're a teacher... One of the things you're going to be concerned with is the level of violence in society and what kind of violence people are apt to face and how likely it is that they actually will face it. Mm -hmm. And uh, boy, this book is just a treasure trove of well-supported scientific you know, knowledge on all of that stuff. A bunch of bollocks. Um, <laughs> aside from that. Does it give also now, aside from the data and all that boring shit, does it does it lay down into turning that into real examples, like saying that perhaps people don't encounter uh, carjackings as much as they used to, or put it into kind of layman's terms? Oh, yeah, absolutely. You don't need to be a scientist to read this book at all. Very cool. At all. Okay. And actually, each chapter is very entertaining in its own way, you know? I mean, just like reading about the early history of violence um, and just how callous people were up through the Middle Ages and into the Enlightenment, the, the punishments for crimes, their pastimes, just all this stuff. It's it's really fascinating and kind right. of, you know, it's it's good Halloween reading, too, if oh, you know, especially some of the earlier chapters. But, uh, you know, I, I think it's it's a great resource for for serious martial artists and people who are teaching. If you're teaching self-defense classes, 
then you really should get this book and give it a thorough going over because it it's not about martial arts at all, mm-hmm. but it the connections are myriad and uh, very, about very About the reality of yeah. the violence you'll face in your daily right. life. And it's not just about you know decline and war deaths or anything like that relative to population. It's about the murder rates and other violent crimes. Police and all recordings this of violent crimes. Yeah. No, it's it's really, really good. And it's very elegantly written. It's It keeps you involved. I was never bored for a single one of the 800 pages or so that this book goes on and it's really it's so good that like i realized when i finished it you know i've forgotten a lot of the stuff i read already because there's so much information in here so i'm gonna have to go at least on kindle or something and get a digital copy of this that i can refer back to because (coughs) oh excuse me um because hard to do dave yeah Because this stuff is really, really relevant to what I think about as a martial artist. Right. And, uh, you know, again, very, very highly recommended. Uh, Again, it's called The Better Angels of Our Nature. You can get it on Kindle. It's at the bookstore. There'll probably be a paperback fairly soon. Let Um, me throw these these two aspects at you just out of curiosity. Give, let's say, these two fictional readers a, uh, a toss through the book. One, a sportive combative, uh, let's say, MMA wannabe UFC fighter. Two, a uh, traditional Hungar practitioner, somebody who can fight but doesn't care about, quote-unquote, self-defense, uh, and, nor about sportive combat, but is more about traditional things. Can these two types of opposite personas also benefit from this book, and how so? Yeah, well, absolutely with the... Uh with a, say an MMA stylist or somebody who's very into sporting martial arts, uh, that topic is thoroughly addressed in, in several sections here because you know, it, it, that is part of violence in society. Like where is a society's tolerance level for violence, uh, in their entertainment and their sporting events Mm. and that sort of thing. And how has that changed over time? You know, what is it like now? How does the world around it affect that parameter? Right. So I, I was think kind of walking you in. Yeah, yeah. I think yeah. I, I think it's definitely good for 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 somebody like that. As far as a martial arts traditionalist, you know, if you're not concerned with self defense much and you're just looking for something that has a lot of martial arts content, this is not for you. But if you are a traditionalist who is also very concerned with with practical self defense, then this can give you a huge amount of of leverage in your thinking as far as. What do I need to target? What is a, what is a, you know, what are the odds? What is a common threat in my place, in my society at this time? Uh, how did people deal with threats in the past? That sort of thing. There's a wealth of material on that. Oh, great. So, you know, if you have a spe- very specific stylistic perspective that you're only concerned with like health and cultivation and stuff. Yeah, you can probably give this book an 800-page pass. I hear you. But if, if you're interested in where the rubber actually meets the road, then it's it's a fantastic resource. Well, I think one of the, the tie-ins, it sounds like this book would be a perfect opportunity to do so on a topic that I'd love for us to discuss further, um, is the mental chess game is the, is the uh, you know, I hate to go Bruce Lee here, but the art of fighting without fighting of... Being able to use all your UFC learning, MMA learning, uh, dealing with fighters, you know, stare downs, you know, measuring up back to your traditionalist, uh, all their good stuff that they have as well. And 
being able to look at when violence does occur to you or the potentiality of violence right. in your face, how do you fight that battle without ever raising your hands, minus the, the idea of the fence or anything like that? Well, uh, like yeah, yeah. The, the book actually deals very much with uh, with different cultural perspectives on violence too. So, like you know, we've spoken. Uh, I think we even mentioned it tonight, but many times on this podcast about the difference between dominance and and uh, predatory. predatory violence. And this book also gives full consideration to to dominance violence, like right. you know, point, pointing out the differences in murder rates and stuff in the southern United States versus the northern United States, Pacific Northwest. Yeah, yeah and and pointing out that you know a lot of this comes from the culture of honor and other elements that were present, and where those elements just having the background on where those elements come from historically it's Definitely. it's it's really i yeah, again i can't recommend it highly enough uh sounds pretty enlightening I, it looks like i'm gonna have to get a copy myself i recommend it and again it's written so that you know it's not a scientific book it's a layman's book but there is good science in there but it's all presented in a very very level easy to read fashion cool and the anecdotes in there are are a lot of fun too well that's about got it for us i think craig i think so uh, the one other thing I want to mention right quick is that uh, next week we're going to have Randy Williams, a big-time Wing Chun Sifu. Oh, yes. And, oh, yeah. Yeah, I've got my own label for the cat. It's not derogatory, but uh, this guy I have known since I was a kid. It, I knew who he was from looking at his photos before I knew who his name was. Right. Because he was the white Bruce Lee to me. <laughs> he really was. And uh, he still is. He still is. And I, I can't wait to talk to him next Sunday. Yeah, he was one of those guys when I was younger and would see him in the, the martial arts magazines and stuff. I'm like, is that guy Chinese? <laughs> yeah. I don't think he's Chinese. Is he? What is he? <laughs> he <laughs> but he definitely be, yeah. had like the Bruce Lee physique and oh, the, yeah. the dark hair. And the you know, he had, and the, he whole... had the Wing Chun, man. And actually, uh, Bruce Ryder, when he was on recently, showed me a recent picture of him. The guy's still in awesome shape. So, yeah. You know? Yeah. He's still the white Bruce Lee. Dude. Yeah. <laughs> well, you need one of those. I do. And, uh, you know, so we're really looking forward to talking to him. So come join us for the last halloween episode, and we'll... Uh... <laughs> And uh, we'll get some of that on. we got a lot of good guests coming up in the future, too. Uh, you know, I'm not going to name names, but <laughs> American Charlotte, we're going to be talking to an uh, author of a, of, of a couple of books, uh, yeah. you know, here in the very near future. And, uh, yeah, we got so a lot of different people coming stay up. Stay tuned. Keep the cards and letters coming. Uh, mailbag at highoutpodcast.com. Come by the Facebook page, rate and review on iTunes. You know all this stuff already. Indeed. Let me uh, mention this. The bit about showing up uh, naked in my house, in my bedroom at uh, 2 o'clock in the morning, not suggested. All right? If you heard that, unhear it. Okay? Please. Seriously, that's not a viable communication piece for us. All right. Let's move on. Craig, there are some things what you've heard of me can't unhear. <laughs> but on that note, we will uh, bid you all. Yeah.